Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. The grass is made of yards of highly chosen. It has big sleeves with. And yes. You're on Showreel with Annie, and today's program is devoted to a chat with Mel Barnes and her latest film project, Jobs for Women. She uh, is um, uh, is a uh, filmmaker who has uh, been involved in a variety of uh, projects. But before we get on to the, that particular uh, issue, we're going to congratulate Charlie Hill-Smith, you might remember Showreel chatted with Charlie about his ambitious documentary, Motorkite, Motorkite Dreaming. It's about two fellows who are flying microlight flights, microlights across Australia, and they're going to be visiting Aboriginal communities on their way. Now, uh, Charlie's documentary has uh, just received funding from the Screen Australia's Documentary Production, Broadcast and Producers Program. Now that Motorkite Dreaming has secured a theatrical release for the fe- if you, the feature version, uh, broadcast partner for the uh, four-part series domestically with NITV and SBS2 and globally on a variety of platforms with Red Bull TV. Anyway, Charlie Hill-Smith is a man who is always thinking outside the box. Hopefully we'll be able to catch up with Charlie at some point and... Uh, Congratulations again. As I said, Mel Barnes cut her teeth on Green Left TV and the award-winning documentary Radical Wollongong. So she's uh, been working in the field for a bit of a while and now she's branching out with the development of a feature telling labour history, working class history in Australia, Jobs for Women. Now, they've uh, had... uh, um, a possible campaign, which we'll hear about, for, uh, funding for the development phase of the film, and it's been successful. And I caught up with Mel to hear more about the Jobs for Women project. So let's hear what uh, Mel's got to say. Okay, so I should congratulate you, Mel, on having obtained the right amount of money for your upcoming feature called Jobs for Women. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's fantastic. So we had a target of $25,000 and we just hit that yesterday, um, but we still have another five days to go. So if anyone still wants to make a donation, we're still accepting them. Oh, fantastic. Um, it's a possible yeah, campaign. It's through, it's through possible. Yeah, that's right. So, yep. uh, And as everybody probably knows by now that if you didn't actually achieve your target, you wouldn't get anything. 
That's right. Yeah, that's how the crowdfunding works. So we're quite happy that we managed to get the target five days ahead of schedule. So tell us about the film uh, Jobs for Women. It's a it's a feature, so, isn't it, for a start? Yeah, we 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 want to make a feature film based on a true story, which is pretty incredible. Um, and it's about um, a group of women um, back in the 1980s who fought the HP in Wollongong at the Port Kembla Steelworks for the right to work um, at the steelworks. So until that time, women were not really allowed to work at the steelworks. Some, sometimes women were given jobs but then laid off again. Um, but as a matter of course, BHP would generally not allow women to work there and to you know, become senior um, you know, technicians and, and that kind of thing. So it, they, these women started a really inspiring mass community campaign um, to fight for the, the right to work there. And the reason that they wanted to work at the Steelworks was because it was the biggest employer in Wollongong and these were the best paid jobs in town. So the fact that women weren't allowed to work there was really unfair. What were the range of jobs within the uh, Steelworks that they were aiming for? Uh, all sorts of things. So things like um, electricians or welders, um, you know, just a whole range of blue-collar jobs. And uh, um, anything they, really. Yeah, so, and, and the technical training would have been done on site, would it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, I mean, the experience that these women had was that their husbands or their male friends were able to just rock up to the steelworks, um, you know, not necessarily with any qualifications, put their names down and within a week or two would be offered a position because there were about 20,000 people working there at the time and so there was always positions available for, for men. Um, but when women, put, you know, rocked up and put their name down, then they had to wait months or years or, you know, they were just told flat out that there are no jobs there for women. Um, so this that was the situation that they really had to fight. Um, and a lot of the women affected were migrant women who had moved with their husbands to Wollongong from their home countries in order to, to get a job there because BHP would go out there and recruit um, in different countries. Um, but when women came to Australia, they were kind of stranded because they weren't able to work um, except for really low paid, um, you know, doing sewing or something like that or having to travel on the train for two hours to get to Sydney. Now you. So this was. No, the thing yeah. about it is, is that you were born in 1983, and so I was reading yeah. some, somewhere that, you, and this is when this all happened, and you yeah. were saying that you were shocked that in yeah. 1983 that it should be this case, because in some ways you'd think that by 1983 Australia had actually gone past that male-female divide, but not true. Yeah. No, that's right. Exactly. I mean, I couldn't believe it because you feel like women have come such a long way and I couldn't believe that in the year that I was born that this blatant discrimination was still happening. Um, and, I mean, there were... One of the major things about this campaign was that it tested the anti-discrimination laws for the first time. So out of the women's movement in the 70s, um, you know, Australia adopted, you know, good anti-discrimination laws on the books, but it wasn't until, you know, women actually started to try and test those laws and to take companies like PHP to court that you began to, you know, get some of these results and actually had to force these companies to open up, you know, to women. Um, so it had to, you know, you had to put the laws into practice. So uh, what 
um, methods were that did they use? Because uh, this is, is uh, very courageous stuff. I mean, it, uh, it's all yeah. very well for people to talk about it, and uh, but when you're actually living this, uh, did they get support from their male uh, compatriots? Yeah, they did. Um, one of the first things they did was that they set up a tent embassy outside the work <laughs> and they leafleted all of the workers on every ship, you know, overnight. Um, and so they really set about building um, strong links with the, the male workforce. And, and they said to them, you know, we don't want to take your jobs. We just, there, there are enough jobs here for everyone and we just want what's there. And... You know, so a lot of the, the male workers, you know, could see that. I mean, they were strong unionists. They understood the the concept of solidarity. And, you know, um, a lot of them, you know, these were their wives as well. So they knew that it was best for the community and, and for the town. Um, and then the women also said about building links with unions, um, you know, with migrant communities, and just with the broader, you know, Wollongong town in general. You know, they got the media on side. So, you know, it was, I think it was building those alliances which really meant that, they got everyone on side and it, you know when they had that big public legal battle with BHP it meant that BHP was under a lot of pressure to give in. Now it's interesting uh, that it's uh, a feature you've decided to do because you've already had the experience of being part of a group of people who made a very uh, successful uh, labour history documentary, Radical Wollongong, which we did actually report on and we had a, a lovely time talking to Paul uh, Bendik about um, yeah. Radical Wollongong, and you went off to Canada and won a big award. So you must have felt yeah, really yeah. chuffed by that. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we were. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so go on. I guess, yeah, so that experience, I mean, we made a, a documentary last year about Wollongong, and we touched on this story of the Jobs for Women campaign. Um, and we found that when we showed that documentary to audiences, that was really the sort of the key story that, audiences really responded to and they wanted to know more and they couldn't believe that they hadn't heard about it. I mean, even in Wollongong, a lot of people haven't heard about this campaign, you know, even though it was very historic. Um, so we realised that, you know, we had to make a film out of it. Um, and one of the key women, one of the original women who was involved in the campaign um, had long wanted to make a film out of this. So she approached us and said that she would be willing to write a script and so now she's on board and we're working together to try and make this a feature film. But, yeah, the difference with this film is that we actually want it to, to be, you know, a, a, a proper sort of fictionalised, in a way, film, you know, with actors and everything because we, we, want it to, we want to bring it to life, you know. We don't want it to be a documentary. We want it to make a proper film, so, um, which is quite ambitious, but we're feeling pretty confident that we can do it. Um, we just feel like that will do the best justice to this story. Yeah, emotion, because that's effectively what uh, movies are very good at. They're good at emotion. Uh, are you going to? Uh, I mean, your have you? How far have you got on the script? Well, we're halfway through writing the script at the moment, and we're still <clears throat> interviewing um, original people who are involved. So we're doing a lot of background research. So we're also asking anyone who was around at the time or involved at the time to get in contact with us and tell us their story and, and their perspective because we want it to be, you know, lots of people involved and lots of voices involved. Um, and, yeah, and then we just feel like um, we'll have to obviously raise a lot more money. We're going to be approaching, you know, unions and other organisations and trying to get um, arts funding and grants and, and that kind of thing um, because obviously making a feature film is a lot more... Um, expensive than making a documentary. But we feel like over the next 
year or two, then you know we can we can do it. Yeah, I, I imagine you should. You should be taking your cat to uh, Screen Australia because uh, I don't think you've got much competition in relation to uh, working class uh, subject matter. Maybe you know uh, Sunday too far away, that type of thing, uh, which is an Australian classic. Now, what I wanted to know was, uh, are you going to be influenced or do you feel influenced in any way by some of the quite startlingly uh, exciting uh, features of this nature coming out of England, for example? They've they've made a couple of films. Yeah, definitely. Like, So films like Pride, for example, I mean, that was a fantastic film that came out last year, which touched on very similar issues. Or Made in Dagenham, that's another that's recent right. film. Um, yeah, so those are great films that we really feel inspired by. And I guess also we want to, you know, we want to, we're also influenced by the, the feminist movement that sprung up again, you know, in the last few years. And we really want to be able to speak to, you know, young women today um, who are also going through similar things because, you know, this isn't something that's just relegated to the past, but it's something that still affects women, you know, harassment in the workplace or discrimination in their lives. So we also want to make it a, a film that's relevant to, you know, feminists who are still struggling today or young women who, you know, can look at it for inspiration and kind of think, yeah, you know, like, this is a really great story of, of you know, women's history in Australia, in Wollongong, and to, you know, to feel like that they too can make change. Can we go back to that thing that you said that uh, people were quite amazed that they didn't remember that this had happened. It's the fragility of our history, real history, as opposed to... Uh, the incredible level of uh, carry-on that we've just recently experienced with, say, uh, the Anzac carry-on in comparison to actual history. I mean, if you start to read uh, things about it that have happened, uh, you get constantly amazed at the dramatic nature of things that have actually happened to people's forebears. (laughs) What's your view on this? I I think that... If these stories aren't carried, you know, by... If if they're not written down or they're not put onto film, I mean, who's going to remember them, you know? I mean, because, yeah, the Anzac history is un, is, is told through schools and, and, you know, governments constantly um, pushing that, that myth, the Anzac myth. But, you know, these stories of working-class women, they get lost because they don't have that backing. And, you know, there's not a lot of people who have the opportunity to make films or write books about this kind of history because, you know, um, unless you're a working-class person, you know, you're not necessarily going to put the time and effort um, into into doing that. So, yeah, I, I think that it's a real shame that these stories get lost. And, you know, that's why, you know, we're so happy that so many people have got behind this crowdfunding campaign and, you know, have been helping us to be able to get this film up. Because, you know, we couldn't do it without donations. Um, you know, we're all doing it kind of volunteer and part-time, you know, you know, at night when we come home from our day jobs. Yeah, and, and so we're hoping that, yeah, this can record a bit of that history. Yeah. Now, I'm interested in the uh, fact that your beginning acquaintanceship with filmmaking was uh, creating a YouTube presence for Greenleaf Weekly. Can you tell us about that leap from... Uh, first working out how to construct ideas for YouTube and then moving on to uh, making a successful documentary. What what have you learned yeah. in the process? I think the main thing we learned is that, um, you know, political stories and political ideas can can reach a broader audience if, 
if you put it, um, if you know, if you put it on film or if you do it through, you know, through putting up videos on YouTube, you know, you can get the same information across in a different way, you know, through using images and, and through doing interviews and that kind of thing. I mean, I've, I've worked on the newspaper Green Left Weekly for a few years and, I mean, I think that's a valuable resource. But we, we also feel like, you know, you have to use all the different mediums that, you know, are available. And, yeah, so we, a group of us set up Green Left TV, which is a YouTube channel, and we started doing interviews with, with people and also just putting up footage from rallies and forums and things like that because we think that that's also really useful to, you know, get out to a broader audience and show that there's actually a lot of resistance that's happening all the time right around Australia. You know, every week there are, you know, dozens of protests. You know, sometimes they're big and sometimes they're small, but this is all happening um, and you wouldn't know about it unless you were plugged into into those groups that are doing it. So I think from there we realised that there's a good opportunity to 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 use those filmmaking skills to turn it you know to then make a documentary which we thought was something you know that could kind of stand um, you know across time a bit better um, and you know we could then branch out a bit more. Um, so when and, you did you know, the then, when you did the YouTube stuff, was it really yeah. as uh, uh, just a camera. Uh, what I mean, I mean, I've done. Uh, I go out and I uh, document uh, what happens at demonstrations, but from an audio point of view. So I'm constantly thinking about how that can translate. Now, uh, I've also practiced taking shots to see, but in a very limited way because I've only got a uh, mobile phone, which you know does capture things that you want, but. In order to make something into a watchable thing, do you just let your camera sit there and watch, or do you actually make decisions? We no, we make decisions. I mean, we edit the videos. Um, we have a whole different range of equipment. So some of the cameras that we use are quite good quality, but a lot of the rally um, footage that we take is just yeah, people taking it through their mobile phones and then uploading it. We find that you know it's easy enough to to set up an interview or, or to film a forum where, yeah, you just set yeah. up a camera and leave it there. And, you, you know, having good sound is very important as well. So you need a microphone. Um, but sometimes, you know, you don't even need that. Often if, if something exciting is happening, then, yeah, you can just record it on your phone and, and upload it. And, you know, camera technology these days is so so much more advanced that it, have, the quality is really, you know, very, very good. Do you ever set yourself you know, the, time frames? Like, uh, do you, do you have time? Uh, the amount of time you're going to spend on anything, you know, like segments or that sort of thing. It's pretty flexible. I mean, the YouTube channel is pretty flexible. So we we have a group of people around Australia. So different people will contribute to that channel, and you know, people from Brisbane and Perth and Melbourne and Sydney, you know, and other cities. So it's really what people, you know, have the time to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, no, um, that's right. Some, yeah. Some, and you have a so library of, them, of uh, they, things that you've taken, I presume. Yeah, 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 yeah. So people can go back and look at all the different videos. I mean, some of those videos are edited and, um, you know, shot really well and have sub, you know... Um, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. No, but yeah, what, so what what I'm getting at is I mean that's that's a very exciting kind of a live kind of a a feel to it. And you know, having something coming off a, I mean people are making movies based on footage that they've taken from mobile phones. I mean, this is not yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh and what I was probably getting at was how did you change when you were making the documentary from that original uh, examples of filmmaking that you had from uh, for the YouTube channel. You know, how did you how did you develop as a filmmaker? 
Yeah, well, that's a good question because we started, when we first started making the documentary, we just really started with doing interviews with with people that we knew in Wollongong. Um, And that was simply, yeah, setting up a camera, getting a microphone. Yeah, but where did you decide to take the, you know, the place where you decided to do the interview? Did you go to their places, their houses? Yeah, yeah, we went to their house, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a choice. Yeah, that's right. And I mean... (laughs) Um, I mean, we just kind of figured that out as we went along. Yeah, uh, you know, we didn't have a proper studio or anything like that, so we just ended up going to their house. And then um, over time, we then found archival footage and then we edited it together with, you know, with old historical photographs and old footage from the news and, and that kind of thing as well and turned that into the documentary. And that gets yeah. exciting, doesn't it? Because then you're actually creating a narrative from the elements that you've got. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now you're going to be, be able to tell a story. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And you're you're going to be dealing with uh, representations of real people. Now this is going to be a real challenge. You know? Yeah, it, <laughs> it will be a challenge. And this is something that we we've been having big discussions about. And exactly how do we do this? Because you know we want it to be the real story of what happened. But at the same time, I mean, it was a fourteen year long campaign. And there were, you know, hundreds of women involved, and so you can't represent that in a in a feature film. So there's going to have to be decisions made about, you know, do we blend characters together, or you know, do we give them their real names and their real characteristics, and you know, what what does that mean? Um, so these are real discussions that yeah. we we have to have, and we also have to talk to the women involved about it. Um, and, you know, I think it will be challenging. I think there'll I have think to be so compromise too. and we'll have to, yeah, we'll yeah. have to weigh up, you know, what actually happened with, well, you know, what are the themes that we're trying to get out of the story? You know, we, yeah, we won't be able to show everything, you know, no, because it's, it's a but, you know, in some ways. But, no, but, but, you know, uh, there will be key, in that timeline of 14 years, there will be key things that everybody agrees were important events. Yeah. And we are basing the script on... Um, people's recollection so it's not that we're making up um scenes that happen but we are because at the moment we're doing background information and research and we're talking to people about well you know what do you remember happened and you know um you know what was it about this particular person or that particular person and so we're sort of piecing together little bits of um you know anecdotes and just recollections and that kind of thing and, and trying to make a really interesting script for example, there's court transcripts, so we can actually, you know, use some of the words verbatim that were that were said at the time, which in some ways I think people might not believe <laughs> some of the things that were actually said. Um, you know, in they court. might think that we're making stuff up in court, yeah, but, you know, it, it, it will actually be real. Um, so, yeah, it, it, yeah, it will be a challenge, but, um, yeah, a great journey. we come out with it. Oh, yeah, it's going to be very exciting. And when you finish, we'll all have to uh, have a screening down here and we'll we'll, uh, we'll, um, join you in your joy. Yeah, no, we'll have a big launch in Melbourne and it will be fantastic, yeah. Thanks for talking to me today, Mel. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, so I And uh, that was uh, Mel Barnes. Sorry about the problems uh, earlier in the program. Mel Barnes is uh, in the middle of uh, working on a film called, uh, a feature film called Jobs for Women, and it's going to be uh, around the uh, 1983 actions that were taken by people uh, around, uh, women who were uh, aiming to get. 
uh, jobs at uh, Port Kembla, the BHP uh, um, uh, works there. And uh, it was a, a major, and, and as Mel said in, in part of that interview earlier on, that uh, uh, she seemed, she was amazed that by 1983 there was still such a huge divide between male and female employment uh, possibilities in Australia. But it's a piece of working class history which uh, is going to be uh, a very fine thing to uh, have uh, on our screens. Uh, she, Mel Barnes was actually part of the group of people who were part of uh, the production team for Radical Wollongong, which uh, is an award-winning documentary that documents uh, events in Wollongong's industrial working class history. Anyway, I'm on my way out. Uh, the uh, I Before I do, I will actually play the Amy Winehouse a film benefit, which is coming up. Uh, it's part of the 3CR Radiothon uh, efforts. And uh, of course, you can still uh, be part of uh, helping to finance 3CR in its future, 94198377 or going online to 3cr.org.au and donating to keep showreel on. That would be great. But let's hear about the uh, fabulous film, which I have actually seen and I can say is a great tribute to a great musician. I don't think I'm going to be at all famous. I don't think I could handle it. I would probably go mad, you know what I mean? I would go mad. 3CR and Music Matters Radiothon Film Fundraiser is the new documentary study of the great British soul queen, Amy Winehouse. Bring your friends along to the Kino Cinema at 45 Collins Street in the city on Thursday the 2nd of July at 6.30pm. Tickets are $20 concession and $25 waged. Buy your tickets online at 3cr.org.au or at the station, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or phone Loretta during business hours on 9 419 8377. Amy, Thursday the 2nd of July at Kino Cinema in the City. Help 3CR and Music Matters reach our Radiothon target so that we can activate activate the the airwaves. airwaves. And as I said, it really is a great film, really worth seeing. Coming up next is uh, Published or Not. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.